We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Roth! How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling fresh as a daisy. I, uh, I'm now in the part of the sports calendar where, like, football is, like, football season is close, but it feels like 8 million fucking miles away, so I have no idea what to do with this. Yeah, all the hot weather is, uh, between us and whatever the start of consequential football is. It's a good thing that it's Rays Week at Defector.com. I'm not fresh as a daisy because I stayed up late writing about John Jaso like a normal guy would. That's not Ray. His name's not Ray. Is his middle name Ray or something? He was a Tampa Bay Devil Ray, man. Come on. He's also a Tampa Bay Ray. He spanned the eras. Uh, He came back and he had dreads. It was a whole whole thing. That's most of what the, the, the post is about. Well, our, our guest this week is also not named Ray, but that's okay. Maybe we'll let, a, he'll let us call him Ray anyway. It's Kazim Famuide, hey. the host of MSGPM and the Say Less podcast. Kaz, how are you celebrating Ray's Week at Defector? Welcome huh? to John Jaso Chat. I am celebrating Ray's Week by uh, listening to tons of Ray J music and uh, holding oh, my baby whoa. and singing off-key at the same time. So that's going to say, that is that, above and beyond the call of duty, man. No one is asking you to listen to Ray J. That was, not, I was, that was the one I was going to pitch to our editor. I was going to be like, hey, I'm going to do a blog. Like, hey, remember Ray J? Like, he was a rapper. <laughs> and, but that, that because I have nothing else to say other than, hey, he was a, hey, he was Ray, a rapper. Ray J is an absolute legend, guys. You know, he's given us so much. As Vince Staples once said, he's given us so much to the community. And so much more, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it sounds, it sounds funny in jest, but when you really break it down, or AJ is like the Forrest Gump of like R&B music where he just always just happened to be at places and who are, where would we be as a society if it wasn't for Ray J, if you really sit I, and think about it? I completely it. agree. I feel like, I feel like we owe this podcast to him as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, an early, he's been an early supporter of ours, uh, obviously. Yeah, the, he released a tape with Drew, video tape early. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Drew to Made my career. Act. I'm a billionaire now. So. <laughs> it happens, man. Willie Ray Norwood, bro. He's, he's, the, go- he's the GOAT. <laughs> uh, you're lucky you're with us, Kaz, because we, uh, Roth and I didn't have a chance to talk at great length about... Kevin Durant's trade request uh, yes. when it happened and since it happened. So we get to ask you, um, is there any realistic way for Katie to get out of Brooklyn this offseason? Do you see it actually happening or are both sides stuck? You know, I, I, I could see it happening, but I feel like it's more on the rest of the league and a lot less on KD and the Nets, right? Like, yeah. I think, you know, when this, I don't think we've ever had a player this good at the height of his powers, uh, demand a trade. So, you know, not only would the trade hall be historic, but, you know, you're getting historic player in return. And I think right now, if you looked at the league the past two, three years, everyone's kind of figured out that, okay, the big three era has kind of like not come and gone, but, you know, more sustainable success has come through teams who have depth and youth and, you know, are, are well positioned with like draft picks and all that stuff. You can't just throw three all-star players together or three Hall of Fame talents together and just make magic happen, you know. And, and if I'm a, uh, 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 you know, a NBA GM or somebody who's in charge of making those decisions, I've already seen what Kevin Durant has done with, you know, super talented players. So am I going to trade like two or three of my top players just to get this one dude who as phenomenal as he is and as much of a hall of fame talent as he is can probably only take you so far. And it's no, you know, it's no slight to KD, but that historic hall that you'd have to give up to get a player like that isn't going to make you any closer to contention, you know, and the teams that could do that 
you know, rely heavily on their depth. You know, like KD said, he loves the Heat and loves – well, it was reported that he would prefer to go to the Heat or go to Phoenix. And those are two teams that rely heavily on being able to go 8, 9, 10 deep, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, if you're giving up four or five of those guys that are extremely important, you know, and are – you know, young, you know, like like a Tyler mm-hmm. Hero or Duncan Robinson or a Bam Adebayo or on the Phoenix side, you'd have to give up Booker Aiden. or you'd have to give up Aiton or, or any of these guys, Mikael Bridges. These are really good, not just talents, but, you know, franchise guys. And seeing what you just saw in Brooklyn, I don't know if you make that choice if you're in, in charge of running a team. Is, is what happened in Brooklyn, though, really KD's fault? I mean, isn't it almost entirely Kyrie's fault? Nope. Nope, and what? I and I hate that narrative. I hate that it's it's Ooh, uh, you we get know to fight. yeah no I, I hate the narrative that it's it's all Kyrie's fault and you know KD shouldn't take none of the blame. Now of course is Kyrie take blame for you know uh, just the way he's been in several seasons? Of course, but KD just kind of like getting off scot free on this. Like it's with any decision in life, like you chose to come here. You chose to go to a franchise to sort of rewrite your legacy after, you know, leaving what many are saying is the, the, the definitive NBA franchise of the past two uh, decades in the Golden State Warriors. So you, if you're going to do that, you have to be able to kind of live up to those expectations. And he necessarily hasn't, man, you know. And as great as a player as, as Kevin Durant is um, – I think what we learned through this Brooklyn experience is a lot of what he isn't. And, um, you know, and I don't want to say he's like, I hate the narrative that like, oh, just because he's not like a demonstrative leader or he's not like a LeBron type of like take charge with the front office and kind of do that whole thing that he's not, you know, a guy who can lead a team. Um, it's just it's just different. And I think just this, you know, I think and I'm not going to read his mind. I don't know him personally, but. I think he kind of went into a situation thinking if I can help sort of manipulate, you know, and make this Brooklyn Nets franchise into like my image and Kyrie's image, then, you know, we'll have some success. And to the most part, the Brooklyn Nets have done that. Like they brought in Kyrie because, you know, reportedly KD wanted him. They brought in Steve Nash because apparently, you know, KD and Kyrie wanted him. You know, they gave him, not gave him because, you know, he's an all-star talent, but he was paid about $30 million just to rehab, fresh off of a, a torn Achilles, you know what I'm saying? So he was put in several positions to, uh, you know, make this work. And, you know, granted, nobody could predict how, how uh, Kyrie was going to fare and the whole James Harden thing was going to happen. But KD has to take at least some of the blame for this. He shouldn't get off scot-free just because it's very easy to point at Kyrie and say it's his fault. This kind of goes back to your point, too, about how hard it is to actually have a team where there are three guys that are, you know, as not just like ball dominant as like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, but like just to fill the rest of a roster out with talent acceptably when you're paying three guys like that. And when those guys demand as much of a role as they have, like the reason I think that like the Warriors success is so difficult to replicate and where you can sort of see, as you were saying, that like the Suns would have to like basically delayer all the success that they had in doing that is that they hit on like lower, like lower first round picks on second round picks and Draymond. That's really difficult. But in order to get enough talent to do the, you know, playing eight or nine guys or having like a team concept where everybody has an important role that they inhabit at a really high level, 
you can't necessarily throw that together on the fly. What was hard for me, I grew up as a New Jersey Nets fan, and I haven't cared about the Brooklyn Nets, but I've been fascinated by them, you know, since they moved, just because they've been clearly trying to, like, skip five steps and get right to the elite the whole time. You know, like the Paul Pierce and KG trade was the same thing. But in this instance, it's like they had a team that they wound up having to take apart so that they could get these free agents where they really did do all of the hard stuff. Like the team where like D'Angelo Russell was their best player that they, you know, they drafted Karis LeVert and they made the best possible version of Karis LeVert. They did that with a bunch of different players. But in order to get to the point where they could trade those guys to get a superstar, like they leave and then they're replaced with what seems like inconsequential moves, but really winds up being super important because if you're in the playoffs and you're down a couple of guys, or if you just need depth and what you have left is like, you know, this version of Blake Griffin and this version of LaMarcus Aldridge, and then like maybe Cam Thomas and whoever he becomes like, then you're not really like a basketball team anymore. Like you're kind of a fantasy team at that point. And like, I don't know that a a better coach than Steve Nash would have done more with that. I think maybe a more experienced one would have, But there's something about, I mean, as well as the big three concept worked where it worked, it needs to, it can't just be that. Like, it needs to be attached to some other functioning base of talent. And the Nets have never, you know, except for when that was the only thing they did, they've never really done both of those at the same time. What's hard with, and I'm going to stop filibustering in a second, where it's hard to imagine Durant getting traded to me is that, like, as you said, in order to... Like, the packages that you've seen and that I've seen people say, you know, like, Aiton plus Cam Johnson plus, uh, you know, like, a bunch of picks and maybe Michael Bridges, like, isn't enough. Like, if that's not enough, then you can't trade him. Like, there's not a bigger package than that that you can get. And that's a kind of a strange thing to, like, I guess this is why superstars haven't been traded in the past. That, like, you really can't get equal value back for Kevin Durant from a team without that team like knocking themselves back down to the point where they're kind of where the nets are now. Yeah, I think I think one thing you, you need to look at is that James Harden trade. I think that's what really sent uh the Brooklyn Nets sort of trajectory into the sort of like tailspin, right? Like I think, you know, when they hit a home run 3 years ago on, on free agency night with 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 um Katie, Kyrie and uh uh, DeAndre Jordan. Jordan, you know, you were uh, you were Not essentially all home runs are home runs. <laughs> that was more of like an inside the park home run, but yeah, it counts. I was gonna say it. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I feel like that that moment was when um, you know uh, they they did exactly what good franchises do. They hit on a lot of low uh, low talent, um, not low talent, but uh, lower draft picks. Um, you know, the guy they found some gems like Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Jared Allen, and and you know D'Angelo Russell sort of developed or whatever. But you know, I think what that team really had that this you know Brooklyn Nets team didn't was that continuity that they built for the three years. You know, like while you know, and and this to make it you know more of a Knicks thing, like while the Knicks were kind of like taking those big swings that you know they're used to taking and and probably getting ridiculed for because it not working out to the best of their ability the Brooklyn Nets kind of built themselves the right way to put themselves even in a position to get a a Katie and Kyrie Irving so you know once they made that James Harden trade and you know correct me if I'm wrong but I think that was a trade that involved 
uh, Karis Levert, which, you know, God bless that. God bless that he did get that trade or else he wouldn't have known about his heart condition and who knows right, what would have yeah. happened about him. Like, legit might have saved his life. Legitimately, exactly. Legitimately would have saved his life. But in addition to that, you give up uh, Karis Levert, who's an excellent wing player. You give up Spencer Dinwiddie, who's an explosive scorer who can create on his own, uh, which you sorely lacked, especially when you didn't have Kyrie Irving. And you chose DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen, who, you know, DeAndre Jordan's best years were kind of behind him, but, you know, he thought he was part of this sort of, like, big three package. While Jared Allen has truly blossomed into, like, one of the better centers in the entire NBA. He's an all-star. He's an all-star, exactly. So, you know, I think that right there was when they kind of were like, okay, if this doesn't work, you know, it's going to go down quickly because not only are you giving up these players that have established themselves within the franchise and, you know, fit pretty well with superstar players – you're also giving up draft picks. So, like, the Harden-Irving-Durant trio had to work. And once it didn't work, once Harden, you know, demanded out and, and got out, um, that's when the, the writing on the wall was, was there for me when it came to the Brooklyn Nets and this ultimately not working out. Now, that all being said, I still think the best situation for Kevin Durant is to remain in Brooklyn and just kind of make it work. And, you know, play out his contract because I just don't think he's going to go anywhere and still play with, like, similar talent. You know, I think you got to go and just kind of see where Ben Simmons is at as a, as, a, as a talent right now. I'm pretty sure Kyrie Irving doesn't want to leave Brooklyn. He's never really said that he demanded a trade, but I think that was just kind of – I think we all just kind of played with the context clues and figured, like, hey, if you're going to get rid of, you know, Kevin Durant, you got to get rid of Kyrie too and really, you know, start this rebuild because – you had no more draft picks. You gave them all up in these in these huge trades, um, but it's 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 really unfortunate, man. Because you know, like it's it's rare that you see a collection of of players this accomplished really accomplished nothing. You know, and yeah. um, well, and, that's just it. I mean, it doesn't seem to me like the Nets were necessarily wrong because, like Roth said, I feel like. The way that Golden State put their team together was something of an anomaly because the past two NBA champions prior to them, well, you had the Lakers in the bubble season, Mm -hmm. and that was essentially a big two team. It was Mm -hmm. LeBron and Anthony Davis and then a bunch of scrap, and that scrap has gotten worse, obviously. And then you had the Bucks, who essentially had a a big three of Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and really it was kind of a big one when you think about it. So so these were were top-heavy teams that won championships – Whereas the whereas the Warriors are, you know, they they are still also reliant on the Splash Brothers, right, and on Draymond. Like they're sort of a three man team, but they are they are a deeper team than than what is we we are normally used to history showing us champions have. But I don't necessarily think the Nets were wrong yeah. to have well, that the, instinct to be like, look, we just we have to have a lot of fucking really. The thing that blows me away about the the Warriors is that they they are deeper, but that's all them. Like, they retooled on the fly while that was happening. Like, they made Jordan Poole into a guy that, like, you could basically tag him in for Clay Thompson. And until the finals, he doesn't really hurt you at all. That was, like, a 21st pick of the draft or something like that. And then to see... I mean, I, whatever. You don't want to put too much stock in watching Summer League highlights. Like, I'm already a fucking sicko for doing it, I know. Yeah, but, like, I watched... Are you, are you a Mac McClung believer right now? I'm not, no. Go- <laughs> I like, completely... I'm not, like, showing up at games in a Calbert Cheney Bullets jersey and, like, taking scouting notes. Like, I haven't 
across the last basket blogger bar. But the uh, we have a couple of Mac McClung believers on staff, though. It's a it's a DC thing. I don't understand it. <laughs> That's a couple uh, too many, isn't it? But the like, did you see the the um, lob that it was like Kaminga to James Wiseman during the Warriors? It was like the yeah. first basket they had the other day. Yeah, and. Who knows? You know, James Wiseman hasn't played a meaningful minute in the NBA. Like, Kaminga and Moses Moody could be good. Uh, we don't know yet because they haven't really cracked that rotation significantly. But there's a part of me in watching that where I was like, there's no way that they pull this off for another fucking generation, right? Like, they couldn't possibly do that. I think they could. I think, I think they, they could. could. They like, they're, 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 so, they're so uniquely positioned to continue success for the next decade. Like, when in, in the world do you have a team who is clearly – uh, head and shoulders above the rest you lose not one but three future hall of famers due to injury in that final series so now you're back down to the bottom and you're sort of like you know and two out of those three drafts were very deep drafts right like james wiseman was a projected number one pick for a while jonathan kaminga was a guy who you know uh was was a, was a lottery talent since high school went to the patrick school was an all-american all these great talents moses moody electric scorer in college you know like teams like that don't usually get to retool their uh their franchises with those type of players so yeah the last time it happened was the spurs when they got to draft tim duncan when they had david robinson because they yeah. sucked for a year yeah and then the warriors had the same opportunity they drafted wiseman and he sucks and he never played <laughs> but the, that was and people were killing him for it and i think they i understood why they were because he he couldn't play yet, yeah. but he's like 21 now. I mean, I, I was definitely on the on the team of you draft Lamelo Ball, right? Like, right. if if you you know hindsight is 2020 right now, but could you imagine this Warriors team with Lamelo Ball like waiting Ooh. to take the mel- the mantle after Steph Curry, right? Like that's that's, that's ridiculous. A good, but that's a that's a deep ass team. It's a de- it's a deep ass team, exactly. But um, that being said, it's it's. You, you, teams don't get to retool like that, right? And it almost, in hindsight, being twenty twenty again, it almost look makes me look at LeBron's, you know, taking his talent to South Beach with even more reverence, you know, where it's like it's not that easy to just up and take three players and just be like, all right, like go win some championships, and getting two of those, you know, and and being just as dominant as they were for as long as they were. Um, but yeah, like if you're a GM and you have an opportunity to get like a former MVP, a top five scorer, a guy who hit one of the biggest like clutch shots in the finals history, like you do it, obviously, because you right. know, what else are you going to do? But at the same time, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they're just, you know, just so they're just such a well run organization and being able to sort of like retool and being like, it's almost like it was almost like an act of God that you know that made them like be able to be even in this position because if they win another championship and they keep going, you know, like if Steph doesn't get hurt or or KD doesn't pop his Achilles or Klay Thompson doesn't get hurt or whatever, like maybe they win another championship and KD leaves and then like the decline starts, you know. But yeah. that's not really how it happened. It was almost like, hey, like you're gonna take like a year or two break from like destroying the league. We're going to give you like your foundational pieces for the next like five or six, seven years when Steph Curry starts to slow down or if Klay Thompson isn't what he is when he comes back and you'll be right back in it, you know, and it's definitely a lot to, to, you know, task these young kids with. But the beautiful thing about it is there's there's no rush. There's no rush to hand those guys the keys to yeah. to, to, to save the franchise. Yeah, they don't have Steph to be. Curry's, it's weird. Steph, Steph Curry's still like on, on top of the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's the defending champions that we're talking about in terms of, like, their next step as, like, continuing to transition that way. I, can I ask you a Knicks question? Is that, like, too close to home? No, yeah, no, I was going to ask him how the much. Knicks would fuck up the, uh, the KD situation. <laughs> <laughs> Come on with it, man. Let's, let's go. So the one that I have kind of is, so this is while we're in the remembering some guys mode, we were talking about teams that get built sort of organically, like through draft picks, through trades and stuff like that. The Knicks team that I remember in the games that I've attended at the Garden getting the biggest pop, like post, like I went to a couple of games of like the Starks and Ewing teams when I was a kid. And like, that's a, another universe. Like there'll right. never be a team like yeah, that. Yeah, that was, those, those teams were good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Chris Herring book on that is amazing, by the way, if anyone's read it. Oh, the, yeah, um, I think, Blood I think the it's Garden. one right Blood behind it. me. Uh, there it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So the, but the team that I remember getting, like, the biggest response was, it was the sort of the Donnie Walsh-built team that had Amari on it, but not Mellow yet. Mm. And a lot of the younger players would be a part of that Mellow trade when they made it. But it was, like, it was Wilson Chandler and uh, Danilo Gallinari and, like, all of whom have had, you know, good NBA careers but weren't stars. But it was the same sort of, I mean, for one thing, Amari before the microfracture surgery was like the most electric player that, you know, you could imagine. Yeah, it's excellent. But there was also that sense of like a team that got built the way that, and not to say that there's a right or a wrong way, you know, there's more and less effective ways. But like as a fan, as especially, you know, again, coming up cheering for bad teams that got better over the course of my life with the Nets. <laughs> you want to sort of grow with the team like, and sort of like watch them get better and, and cohere and become like a story that you can tell yourself that makes sense. Yeah. The Knicks to me right now seem for a team that was incredibly disappointing last year, like seem actually kind of close to that, that like, I, I like the Brunson signing fine. I don't know what kind of player he'll really be. Like he looked terrific in the playoffs, but he's also like a five eleven you know, guard in the NBA. So right. one never knows. But to me, like the stuff that I had seen recently that they were apparently rumored to be discussing a trade for Donovan Mitchell, who again, I think is a really good player, like always wanted to be a Nick that involved eight draft picks. That is uh, to me, the sort of deal that like cuts the foundation out from under whatever the team might be, even if Donovan Mitchell is great. Right. That like there's just no way that you'd have it's so much harder anyway to develop a team in an organic fashion around that. Like you've locked in your stars, you're paying them what you pay stars. But then like the rest of it stagnates and guys move towards free agency and the cap is what it is. And like like what do you want to see the Knicks do? Like as a I'm assuming like that you're a fan. Oh yeah. But I mean like obviously like as someone who has to watch them for work, (laughs) like what what would you want? I uh you know what? I think I think what you said was like pretty much on the money, right? Like you were saying that, uh, you know, this team for as disappointing, let's, you know, put it out there. The reason why this season was disappointing for a lot of of Knicks fans was because of the good vibes we got from the season before, right? Fourth seed, you you make an electric run or whatever. You you hit a home run on his Derrick Rose trade. He still has a lot of gas left in the tank. He becomes like this, you know, uh, second place, six man of the year contender. And I think that what really underreported over the past like year, right? Like Derrick Rose wasn't there. He was hurt. And granted, like relying on Derrick Rose's health in, you know, 2022 year year of our Lord and Savior. I mean, like I understand why people would get, you know, feel away about it, but he was absolutely huge for the Knicks when he when he came over, right? The numbers are right there. I think um what they're doing right now is what I've wanted to see the Knicks do for a while is just be in position to make these sort of moves if you need to. 
You know, like I, I feel like what they've done this year and what I've said on plenty of other shows in the past, uh, you know, since, since the off season ended, was I don't think the Knicks are that far off. Like, I don't think the Knicks are as far off as, like, a lot of, like, you know, writers and, and pundits will, will, will say to be, right? Like, they won 39 games, which isn't, like, you know... You're not, wait, you're are, not, you, are you a Knicks fan, Kaz? I am a Knicks fan, yes. So, <laughs> so there might be... It might be an issue. There might be it might be. Interest, it might right? be, yeah. but I mean, like, just just on the on a basketball sense, right? Like you look at players and you look at what Julius Randle, you know, played like this year, and I think one of the biggest struggles that he had this season was the ball being in his hands too much. You know, yes. especially during crunch time. And even though I think he's a he, he he's become a very good playmaker, um, you know, in his most improved uh in his most improved player award season, he averaged nearly six assists, you know what I mean, as a power forward. And, you know, a lot of that came from opposite side, you know, baseline jumpers to like Reggie Bullock and, you know, and and you know, other shooters that they had on that team. Um that being said, I think the signing of Brunson gets them back to uh, a level of basketball that they did play uh, the year before last, right? Like, I think, I, I, as somebody who's watched so many of these games in the past two seasons, a lot of those games that they lost in the past year was due to the fact that there were maybe like, I don't know the exact stats or numbers behind it, but, you know, these are pretty close games that they would lose. They weren't getting, like, the doors blown off of them. And most of those losses came in, like, the fourth quarter when you need a conductor, when you need somebody to kind of, like, steer the ship right and, and get the ball in the hands of somebody who can, like, really, you know, get your best players and your best scorers in position to win games. And a lot of that responsibility fell on the guys like Alec Burks last year, who is a nice player. Clearly not a point guard, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And well, that was a that was such a weird Tibbs tick too. I mean, in some ways, that like moving him and Noel, both of whom again are like guys I've enjoyed watching play basketball. It's like the real win that you get there beyond obviously the salary cap space that lets you get Brunson is like Tibbs can't play them ahead of Emmanuel quickly. Yes, now. yes. Like, and that it seems like that's the other part of it that's weird is like trying to calculate what the Tibbs effect is because like it was magic that first year, mm-hmm. and then last year it like instantly flip to being toxic and backwards and fa- I mean at least the fans that I'm friends with were miserable yeah it's, again for a team that wasn't that bad like 39 wins is like not good yeah they're not the Sacramento Kings you know right, like but right. they're you know they're they have players they have you know as it stands right now they have three 20 point scorers if you count Jalen Brunson and like that's not something that you could say about the Knicks in a long time and and that being said you know you have uh an opportunity with this team to see I put it like this. When like these big KD, you know, rumored trades happen or any of these big superstar trades happen, I think Knicks fans are so, you know, uh tied to their own players that they watch so much that I don't think the rest of the league or other GMs even really get to see what they'd be trading for if they wanted to trade up and like draft the Jaden Ivy or trade up and try and be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes and stuff like that. You ask any Knicks fan, and they'd be like, oh, my God, you can't let go of Obi Toppin. But right. if you ask, like, a GM, they're like, who the hell's Obi Toppin? They're you know? like, oh, the guy from Dayton, like, <laughs> you know? years ago? I remember him. He right. dunks, right? Exactly. <laughs> but like, hey, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk more with Kazim Famuyide of uh, MSG. We'll come right back. We are back. Kazim Famuyide of uh, MSG PM. And... Like uh, like my hero Bob Mould, Kaz, you were once a writer for a pro wrestling promo, and in your case, it was WWE. So we have to talk about Vince McMahon 
and his recent paternity scandal. Can you explain the paternity scandal to us? And if it will end with Vince facing any consequences whatsoever? I know the answer to that question, but let's talk about it anyway. Right. Um, I'm not really sure, man. You know, like it's definitely um, it's definitely unfortunate, you know, especially for the people that uh, had to, you know, deal with this over the past several decades. But as far as like, I think what makes this so interesting to a lot of uh, pro wrestling followers is exactly what you said. Like, is this going to be the thing that makes Vince McMahon have to relinquish control to either like his daughter or to, you know, uh, the, the cons of the world or like somebody else and Shane something, or Shane O'Mac. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll see that, but no. um, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that's what makes it extremely interesting because right now the world of professional wrestling is is probably the most unique it's it's been since like I was a child since like the Ted Turner WCW WWF sort of wars where you know they're not the only show in town and you know they've really had some it's the first time in in my like adult life that they've had like legitimate competition in North America uh, and on top of that they've been going through so much transition as a company and just growth that you know uh, who knows what is best for the company now even if it isn't the guy who helped run it you know he's not getting any younger either so creatively I get the sense and this is like I should say that my experience of wrestling is based entirely on editing a lot of wrestling stories mm -hmm. I don't watch it mm -hmm. Everybody that I'm friends with online is a huge fan of it. A bunch of the editors, that, a bunch of the writers I work with write about it. So, like, I have other people's opinions about wrestling. I just don't have any of my own. Am I wrong that it seems like AEW creatively is kind of, like, a little bit fresher than WWE at this point? I would say AEW right now is um, what AEW does extremely well is they cater to their fan base and their fan base is very hardcore, very, you know, the what makes pro wrestling entertaining for a lot of people in 2022 is match quality and being able to like as opposed you know, to like storyline. Yeah, I think I think WWE, uh, you know, even though they have incredible, you know, in ring talent as well, I think where they succeed that AEW doesn't is the be the ability to have that incredible machine to sort of like make it feel larger than life and feel and tell stories and you know entertain and you know give characters you know and aw seems a little bit more grounded in you know who these people are when the cameras aren't on you know and you don't get a you're not gonna get like five backstage segments explaining what's going to happen at the main event of the show, right? You're probably going to get one of those and you're going to get like eight to 10 matches, you know, per show, you know? And um, Tony Khan, the guy who, uh, he was on our, our on our Ringer podcast a few weeks ago. Son um, of Shad Khan, owner of the Jaguars. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he is as big a fan as anybody there is, you know, with, with the seamless, seamlessly, seemingly, um, you know, limitless amount of money to kind of like make this AEW thing work and what he's done extremely well is you know sort of he's probably reaped the benefits of you know the the talents that have either left WWE uh, the talents that haven't been satisfied with being a WWE for a while I think you know their biggest acquisition was CM Punk who for a long time if you're not familiar with who CM Punk is uh, at one point he was probably like the hottest star in professional wrestling because of you know not only his ability in the ring but his ability to talk and, and connect with fans and he has like a, a unmistakable undeniable connection 
with uh, pro wrestling fans because he's he kind of came up in the he he came from the bottom, you know, like yeah, he, he wrestled fan, in right. I mean, that was part of the whole story. Yeah, like AEW was built off of like you know, like if you if you I put it like this, right? WWE was you know the NBA, right? But before you got to that, so let's say before you got to the NBA and that there's no college, like the guys that you supported watching basketball, you had to go to watch them at like at Dykeman or Rucker or, you know, or, or Hoops in the Sun or any like these yeah. street ball places. Right. Because, you know, in the independent wrestling is sort of like the backbone of what these companies are. And, you know, most of the guys, you know, for as long as I've lived before AEW sort of like, you know, uh, reached the status that it does now. um, Oh, making it was making it to the WWE, you know, like that's when you were, you know, you, you, you sort of made it. And now AEW has sort of like really leaned into the fact that all of these guys have this independent experience that they could draw from. And these hardcore fans that have filed their careers from wrestling in, in gyms to wrestling at sold out stadiums or WrestleMania, you know, but not necessarily being, you know, attached to the WWE brand anymore. You could kind of like go and watch that. And honestly, I do think most fans tend to like both. You know, they can kind of like, you know, I think like the whole tribalism between fans is while it's very entertaining on social media, I think it's played up a lot more than it really is. I think wrestling fans just like good wrestling wherever they could see it. But I are, think are they even on on the same night? No, you, no. I think right, I will, so, yeah, you, can, yeah, watch you it. can watch it whenever. I think Fridays are the only nights that they kind of like cross like right at, after Friday Night Smackdown. They have a AEW Rampage on, on, on TNT. And uh, they, they did go head to head at first for um, on Wednesdays with what they're like. Like with WWE's third brand, which is called NXT, and AEW won soundly. You know, like that's when you know people realize, like, okay, they're legit. Like they're not just you know some 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 comp some you know nose picking company. Like they're really good. Yeah. And um, you know, that's I, interesting that I like that nose picking company. I also <laughs> think there's something in that point that you're making that actually weirdly, I guess maybe because of the fact that I'd gotten so much of it through editing other people's copy on it, mm. like. There's no reason why only one of these can survive, right? Like, it is, like, if it's different styles, it's not the sort of thing where, like, you know, whatever, it, when, like, Top Gun does really well, and you're like, well, how does this impact Wes Anderson? Like, right. it doesn't. It doesn't. They're for different people. They're <laughs> well, for different audiences. So, you know? so you claim it might have a yes. huge impact. Yeah. I'm the rare person Grand smart Pud enough to be able to enjoy both of them. Grand Budapest Hotel, too, is going to be green. <laughs> but it, it seems like that's the sort of, you know, Given that how different WWE is, not just because it's been run by the same 76-year-old man for so long or whatever, but, like, it's a, if it's a different style of entertainment, not just a different style of, like, then maybe the two aren't necessarily... They're in competition for talent, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. But they're not necessarily in competition for the same eyeballs. Right? I mean, let's not, let's not get it twisted. They definitely, you know play up the fact that we're not WWE, you know, yes. and like a lot of the towns definitely like thumb their nose at the things that WWE does. Because they like escaped WWE. Exactly. They were like not getting booked the way they wanted. Or oh, whatever. yeah. Like there was, you know, I think like the first like 10 guys who uh, left WWE to AEW, like their whole theme was like, it was even like they would have like vignettes. It was either them like breaking out of a cage or breaking out of <laughs> handcuffs or like stuff like that. So like it was pretty on the nose what they were trying to say. But uh, you know at the same time like you know fan bases 
you know, that yeah, like granted, you know, you would think that most people could have just enjoyed both and not make it a thing, but I think there's fun in that. There's also fun in like some people being like, I'm an AEW guy, I'm a WWE guy, and yeah, you get to argue sucks. online about it. You get yeah, exactly. You know, like it's it's like any sport. It's like when you could if you're if your tribalism, whether it's your favorite team, your favorite player, your favorite athlete, whatever, like kind of defines who you are. Like that's okay too. Like that's also yeah. that's what makes sports fun. That's what makes entertainment fun. Well, Kaz, you made it this far. We have to get to the stupid part of the podcast. Let's get stupid. So it's time for us. Yeah, it's time I, for I know you re- thought it was stupid before, but it's gonna get it's gonna get much dumber now. <laughs> it's time for us to remember some guys. Every week we remember a, an athlete of your, not an all star, but just a guy. And I should have picked a pro wrestler, but instead, Kaz, I picked Trent Tucker. Do you remember that guy, Kaz? <laughs> The, the Trent Tucker rule, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember Trent Tucker very fondly as a child. Uh, why, I, that tipping kind of like gave way to the Derek Fisher like point four sort of shot, you know, back in the day. And and I love I love I love this segment because I hate rings culture. All right, like yeah. I, I think rings culture has really like diminished, you know the love that a lot of people have for the game and basically saying like, Hey, if you don't win a championship ever, or you don't win a championship, it's a failure, right? Like I'm, I'm team good vibes, right? Yeah. Like a lot of my Knicks, a lot of my favorite Knicks. have fun, right? Yeah. Like, like I think, I think a team with good vibes is extremely underrated. You know, like I've, I've rooted for Knicks teams that did well, but didn't really give me good vibes. You know what my favorite Knicks team is? I love the Knicks tape era Knicks, right? They didn't win anything, <laughs> right? But like Ahmad Shumpert, J.R. Smith, Tyson oh, Chandler, you know, Mello, <laughs> you know, you had Baron Davis have like a cameo appearance. You had Jeremy Lin for that three-week stretch. Like, they didn't like the win anything. the expendables of a basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, you had like the last remnants of Amari Stoudemire. Like, you know, like they didn't win anything. But the good vibes that those te- those teams brought to New York City was unmistakable. And you mean to tell me just because they didn't win a championship, they were like some sort of failures? I'm like, no, no, not at all. Like, I, yeah, I, we I talk Steve about Novak, the discount double checks with the with the <laughs> be- like, who wasn't having a blast when that was happening? You know, so yeah, like Trent Tucker, just the guy, but man, brought good vibes not just to the Knicks but to the entire league because you know that buzzer beater was so remarkable and electric. They had to change the rules <laughs> after that. And how many people can say that? There aren't that many players like that anymore where, like... Because now three-point shooters can do other things. What I remember about Trent Tucker as a kid was that, like, he looked like he could have been my friend's dad. Like, he had the beard. <laughs> he was, didn't have, like, the muscle definition or whatever. That you, He was really good at shooting threes. They didn't ask him to do anything else, really. Mm-hmm. And, like, teams had guys like that that, like, you know, they'd show up at the three-point contest and you'd be like, who is Jim Less? Why do I have to know who Jim Less is? And then he makes, like... 30 of 43 pointers and you're like oh wow i guess he's good at that yeah, yeah but like you never actually catch him playing it's just like dudes that they have like you know on the bench and like a break glass in case of emergency thing yeah, hey we have to open up the uh, the fun bag cast you have to answer some questions from uh, from readers by the way these are very stupid questions so don't uh don't bend over backwards trying to answer them thoughtfully or anything like we'll that do. this one's from craig Cass. he writes in how are more people not falling and injuring themselves going down the steps in the upper reaches of our nation's stadiums and arenas? I consider myself to have above-average coordination and balance, but these steps feel like death traps. Kaz, have you ever felt like you are about to plunge to your death while ascending 
up the steps of Yankee Stadium or elsewhere. Yeah, one of my biggest fears is heights and falling from large heights. So I feel like I get like my my spider sense kind of turns on even more as soon as like I see the stairs going to, hey, here's your seat right this way, Kazim. And like it's all the way up there or down there. And like I just lock in. And you have to like lean forward so that like people can get by you and shit like that. And I got big feet too. So like the stairs aren't necessarily like conducive for Bigfoot dudes like myself. No. So I got to be like on the ball of my toes and if i don't do that shit it's 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 a lot happening so yeah no i'm i'm terribly terrified terribly terrified yeah. of doing and everyone's gonna, everyone of these games are shit-faced too i really i i genuinely don't know how they aren't just tumbling down like like an avalanche of human beings every game <laughs> i will also take the old guy perspective on this and say that today's stadiums not like the ones that i grew up with with the super high angle on this because they're building these tiers of luxury boxes between sections are scary. Mm-hmm. Like Barclay Center is like vertical in a way that like I don't remember like certainly I don't remember the garden being. Like you rappel the, down from your in seat the upper to sections. Get a yeah, coke. like it really kind of has that feel where like you should be like locking into a carabiner if you're going to be walking up <laughs> anything at that angle. <laughs> yeah, if they have one of those like hooks on your back, like I don't know, I just saw this like viral video of this dude work, working on a skyscraper, and he has like that hook on his back. Yes, to like put yep. those poles in. I'm like, they should have one of those because I'm glad that you also like me as someone who is afraid of heights is also drawn to videos where someone is like, I'm just standing on top of a bridge. Like, there's a, like. I don't want to do that. Why do I want to watch that? Yeah, that's, I don't know. That's like if, I, if I'm in any city, city and I see window washers up high, yeah. I'm like, fuck. You know, <laughs> me, me and my anxiety are buddies now. So, like, I'll watch stuff like that. Like, you know, like, I can enjoy, like, the anxiousness will will kick it if it's happened to me happened to me in real life. But I befriended my anxiety so much, I could watch those videos and be thoroughly entertained and still also be scared, but safely scared. Safely yeah, scared. Yeah, it's, like it's like a form of, of therapy, sort of. Like, it, like... <laughs> Which is to say that there's not like a final form of it where you yourself are hanging by one hand off the top of the CN Tower or whatever right. to prove a point. But yes, I, I'm with you on that. Peter <laughs> writes in with a question that actually this is something I've been thinking about for a while. He says, in a movie, when it shows old pictures of the main character, do they ask the actor or actress for their childhood photos? Or do they go on the internet and look for pictures and say, eh, that kid looks like a 12-year-old Tom Hanks. Let's frame it. <laughs> Do you know how they do that, Kazim? I would hope they would just kind of like, you know, digitally alter it at this point, you know? Seems like, like a digital thing. Yeah, like just go in there. I mean, they could, god damn, they, I've seen New York City blown up so many times. I'm pretty sure they could find like a, a five-year-old Tom Hanks looking kid and just kind of like alter the nose yep. and face to make it obvious, you know? So, I mean, I don't, I'm not giving up my childhood pictures though, you know? Like, is it like... I just remember, like, back in the day, like, watching Nickelodeon when, like, they would, like, have, like, these competitions where you have to send them Polaroids or photos, but they promise you that they they can't give them back. And this is a time where you couldn't just get photos <laughs> back. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, what am I, I'm not just going to send you my photos. But now it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, take them. I can get them on my cell phone. But right. insanity. That is definitely, that sounds like the creepiest possible scam. Like, the idea of, like, do you want to be on Double Dare? Like, <laughs> meet Mark Summers at the mall. Just him. You're just going to meet him. Like, or whatever. No, don't, don't do don't that. Don't Mr. said the good name of Mark Summers on this Mark, show, okay? Mark Summers. You love Mark Summers. People mean to him here. on Twitter, but he's a, he's yeah, a nice you had man. Yeah, if you had to give, like, a photo of yourself now to a studio, you'd have to sign a release form that's 80 pages long, and they could say, like, oh, we can put this on, like, a cereal box, and, uh, and... And we can send it to prisoners if they're lonely and stuff oh, like that. No, 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 no. Imagine having to be the production assistant that goes up to like Ray Liotta and asks for a picture of him as a baby. 
<laughs> I'm dead, lady. Josh yeah. writes in, uh, this is a deep one, Kaz. Let's pretend that somehow humanity finds a bunch of breakthroughs that allow us to sustain life on this earth for thousands of more years. Is there a point where we stop celebrating the same holidays? Will America still celebrate its independence 10,000 years from now? Hell, in the year 100,000, will people still be talking about Jesus? How, will we have holidays in the long, long, long future, Kaz? I got to tell you, man, uh, this 4th of July didn't really hit the same this year. I think, I think, no. we, got, I think no, we got like a good like 20 more years of like really going hard on the 4th of July. It's like, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, like I just kind of stayed home, you know, like... It's at this point, like, it's, it's, it's wild to me. Like, when I was younger, I used to see a lot of American flags and feel good. And now when I go somewhere and I see too many American flags, I'm like, I might be in the wrong place. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. yeah. I see one on a pickup truck. I'm like, I'm that like, guy's Ooh. a racist. Just don't put a fucking, those flags on trucks. I saw a lot of that when we were in Maine. And it's such a, like, when I see that, like, People don't do that. Like that started because oh. of the like, the Trump boat parades or whatever. Like <laughs> putting a flag on your truck. You like, already it's a live here. Craft. You already right. live here. Who are you proving yeah. your Americanism to? It's like no, I'm that's more American. So, like, Look at my truck. To what you were saying that's so crazy about it is the idea of like people displaying an American flag, like the country we all live in <laughs> and like pay taxes to and vote in. And it's clear that they're displaying it like as a way of being like, does this bother you? I yeah. hope it bothers you. I bet it fucking bothers you, doesn't it? looking at this flag yeah. like there's just the vibe is is for sure off it's really Even off this year man. with like fireworks going off in like the city and stuff like that there was a part of me where i was kind of like except for the big one i was like you're trying to talk yourself into this man. no like, nobody likes happen. the fireworks anymore either like especially yeah, only in you yourself, man. it's like only yo got- if these fireworks like you know remember that weird in the beginning of the pandemic where like there was just like random boxes of fireworks just yeah. like spread out through the city. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that was like, you know, that was the time where like the, the America rebrand was looking like pretty rough. And like, I think everyone in New York City was just like, I swear to God, if I have to hear one more night of fireworks, I'm going to scream. I'm going to shoot somebody. And then <laughs> yeah. we got to last this past year and it was like, OK, I give you fireworks just for tonight. You know what? I'll even give you fireworks for July 3rd. But God damn it, if there's a single firecracker that goes off on July 5th, I will I will I will air this place out. Right, I was going to say like I will turn this car around, young man. Like this is Just to answer the- Josh's question, like I've lived long enough that the world is completely unrecognizable from when I was born, and that was 1976. Mm-hmm. So in the year 100,000 I wouldn't expect any of this shit to still be here, and I wouldn't expect people like like the robots will be ce- celebrating like Skynet Triumph Day or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I make one prediction on where fireworks are heading. Ooh, where yeah. so have you seen the video of the year that San Diego fucked up their city fireworks display and shot all of them off at the same time? Hell yeah, oh. great video. So it's like it was supposed to be like forty minutes of fireworks. They all fired at once, and it just looks like the sun is exploding above. <laughs> Like whatever La Jolla, like I think that, that is. I think that's the future of fireworks stuff. That like nobody wants to hear like the Boston pops and see like you know like it's a green one and then a red one. But like maybe like the way that our brains are devolving, that like if you just give people a like a massive like pseudo nuclear explosion to look at, they'll be like hell yeah, and that'll be enough. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I gotta get rid of like the Macy shit that happens now, where like it's three hours long yeah. and the fireworks are at five minutes at the end. And you got to endure Jimmy Bruno Smith's, Mars like, is there. Yeah, yes. they introduce... There's always a country music artist. You always mm-hmm. got to watch a fucking country music artist play some fucking country song. And, like, they're padding that shit. 
and I just want I just want bang bang like as many it's like all the bang bangs in five <laughs> seconds. Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me, free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at. And subscribe to the Say Less podcast because that is where Kazim Famuide works He's a every pro. week and he has been such a great guest thank you so much Kaz for coming on thanks for having me man I had a blast and uh, this is this is amazing thank you guys for having me bro of Appreciate course it, of course see you all next week goodbye bye <laughs>